Hey, good morning, everybody. Um, so this morning's uh, sermon is, is titled, God is Good. That's where we're picking up our series. But have you ever been in a situation that has made you doubt God's goodness? I'm sure you have. I have. I've been through several. It is our human experience. To, when we experience pain and suffering, to doubt the goodness of God. See, what we may be used to see, like, clearly through glasses where it's like there's, there's nothing tainting our vision, when we go through situations of brokenness, of pain and suffering, it's like black spots just, like, get speckled over our vision. And it's hard to see. I'm a little OCD about my glasses. I really like them clean. <laughs> um, and I think my kids have, like, kind of, caught on to this a bit because um, sometimes they like to poke at my glasses when I'm wearing my glasses and it makes me crazy because I don't like smudges and my vision. I want to see clearly. So I go and I wash them and I clean them and they're clean again, you know. It's like you know, I'm, a, I'm a little OCD about it. But pain and suffering, it goes beyond just like a smudge on your glass that's just like annoying and you just kind of are irritated by it, but you can still see through it. Pain and suffering do things that make these black spots on our vision that it's like, I can't see through that. I can't see around it. It's really hard now to see the goodness of God. Um, James Bryan Smith is the author of this book that we've been discussing called The Good and Beautiful God. And he talks about his experience along these lines, um, that for a, lot of time, a long time in his life, he was able to see clearly that there wasn't anything that um, really made him doubt the goodness of God, because he had a lot of things going well in his life. So there is a lot of evidence pointing to the goodness of God. He talks about um, how he had a great family, he, he enjoyed his career, um, that was going really well. He had a beautiful wife. He had a son. Nothing had really gone wrong in his life yet. Um, and then his wife became pregnant with their second child, and it was a girl this time. And at their eight-month doctor appointment, the doctors informed them that their daughter had a rare chromosomal disorder, and that she was most likely um, to pass away after the birth. And they, he, he describes when they left that appointment, they, they were shocked. They were totally disoriented. They had no idea what to do. I'm sure you re can relate to a feeling like that, where like, he asks, how do you go from painting um, our daughter's nursery to now thinking about planning her funeral. I mean, that's just too much for someone to experience. So what do you do when situations like that come crashing into your life? Well, the doctors were only partially right. Yes, she did have the chromosomal disorder, but she did not die at birth. She actually um, had a year or two to live beyond that. But he talks about the whole time that she was alive, 
even though they got this amazing gift of life with her, he, he walked around feeling like he got punched in the gut, like he just had this perpetual feeling of that throughout that experience. You know, I know what that's like when, like, the, the blood drains out of your body and you just feel, like, faint and ghostly, like, you're just frozen in life because it's overwhelming. It's too much. The brokenness is too much. We don't know what to do with it. And so one day, this pastor takes um, James Smith out to lunch, and he asks him this question. He says, who sinned, Jim? You were your wife. What? How can you ask a question like that? But, but he, that question kind of haunted him, and he, he went home and he started thinking, could this pastor possibly be right? And he starts thinking about the sin in his life, and he th- starts thinking about um, his wife's sin. And he wondered if God was balancing the, the accounts, so to speak. And <clears throat> she ended up passing away at the age of two. And, and after she passed, uh, well-meaning Christians, you know, would say things that were not helpful, like, it's okay, you'll have another child. Or, you know, God's in control. And we've probably been on the receiving end of similar comments, or maybe we've given similar comments. And um, it, it kind of is like we, what it uncovers is that we really like control of our lives. We like to, to figure out that all of this happened for a reason, right? And so we kind of push it under the rug that God's in control. But really, it's hard stuff that we have to to face sometimes in our broken world. Um, And either way, we can end up kind of feeling lost from God. So either we we pretend with God that he's in control and everything's okay, or we might get angry at God and our hearts are are far away from him and we feel lost. So, So what is God really like? Who is he? That's the question we're asking in this series. What's God really like? And during this series, to uncover this question, we're asking another question. Um, What did Jesus believe about God? Because that gives us insight into who Jesus or who God really is. Because Jesus, he reflected the Father. So he gives us an understanding of who God is like. And not only did Jesus reflect the Father, But Jesus lived his life here on earth with um, an understanding of who God was. So we talk about these narratives, right? These stories. Jesus lived by a set of stories that he knew about the Father. So he believed certain things about the Father, and he understood certain things about the Father, and he lived those out. So we're trying to uncover what those are to understand more about God. Because we're intended to live like Jesus. But until we understand how Jesus thought of his father, it's hard for us to live there too. And so we're trying to compare what, what kind of operating beliefs are we living under. Sometimes we don't even um, realize that we're doing it, right? They're just so ingrained or we pick them up from our family or whatever our experience is, and then we just kind of live by those narratives, and we don't realize, like, oh, that's not how God really is. 
And so we have to kind of get curious about those narratives that we live under so that we can compare them <clears throat> to how Jesus thought about his father. And so I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to let you in on one of the dominant Christian narratives that we're going to discuss this morning, which is that God is an angry judge waiting to punish you. And that's, that's what that pastor that approached James Smith was, was um, honing in on. And Jesus' own disciples grew up with this um, way of thinking. And they approached him in John 9, 1 through 3 with um, that thought process. So it says, As Jesus was walking along, he saw a man who had been blind from birth. Rabbi, his disciples asked him, why was this man born blind? Was it because of his own sin or his parents' sin? It was not because of his sin or his parents' sin, Jesus answered. This happened so the power of God could be seen in him. So the Jewish narrative was that <clears throat> your infirmity, your suffering could be linked to sin. It could be your own sin, or if that is not enough of a burden, it could, it could have been your parents' sin. You could have sinned in the womb. Your mom could have sinned while you were in the womb. And any of those scenarios would link your suffering and your sin, your sin and your suffering. Um, and when the disciples confront Jesus about this way of thinking, he refuses to affirm it. He says, no, it was not because of this man's sin that he's blind. No, it was not because of his parents' sin that this man was born blind. He, he refuses to link the suffering to the sin. And Jesus goes even further to heal this man's blindness. He says, I'm going to use this as an opportunity to bring the message of the kingdom because that's what I am here to do, to declare that God's kingdom is making all things right. It's restoring all things. It's renewing all things. So I'm going to heal this man's blindness. Guys, that's good news that Jesus offers us that kind of renewal. Now, we don't necessarily have such an overt way of saying that, where um, your suffering is caused by this sin. I mean, that pastor did, but we don't often go around saying things like that. Um, but this is, it's still linked to this angry judge God narrative. So this is what it sounds like. If you do well in your life, you will be blessed. But if you sin or mess up, you're going to be punished. That's kind of that thought process that we think maybe somewhere back there. But when we look at the world, we, say, we know good things happen to bad people. And bad, really bad stuff happens to really good people. So what's that about? Well, Matthew 5:45 gives us a little insight into this. It says, for he makes his son rise on the evil and on the good and sends rain on the just and the unjust. So what this verse is telling us, y'all, 
Here it is. God is good. God is good. He sends his blessing and his care on everybody, regardless of your behavior. He's good to the evil and the unjust, and the good and the just, because he is good. That's his character. That's who he is. That's his nature. God is good. And you can trust him in his goodness. This is the narrative that Jesus lived with, that his father alone was good. Jesus lived his life following God's plan for his life, even when that plan seemed to like not be going the right way. Circumstantially, sometimes it didn't look like Jesus' plan here on this earth was really, was really God's plan. How could God be doing that? But Jesus trusted his father regardless of the circumstances because he knew that God was good. He knew it. And God is good. And his goodness meets you and I in our needs. So then why do we hold on to this punishing God narrative? Why, why don't we let that belief go? Well, I think... Some is because we like control, we like to be in charge, and we like to know that our own efforts are going to count for something, right? We put in the work and it's going to pay off. That's how we live our lives, our American lives, you know? And so we think that. In Matthew 19, 16, we look at this story about a man, a rich young ruler, who is concerned about his own efforts. He really wants his own efforts to pay off, but he still feels like something's missing. So what happens when you put in all this effort, but you still feel like something's missing in my life between me and God, or me and something? So this story, he, this rich young ruler feels that in, in his soul that something's missing. So he, he approaches Jesus. He's like, okay, now's my chance. I'm going to get this answered. I'm going to go talk to the man who knows what's happening. And so he asks this question of like, how can I receive eternal life? How can I get into the kingdom of God? And Jesus says, why ask me about what is good? There is only one who is good. But to answer your question, you know, I'll oblige you. If you want to receive eternal life, keep the commandments. So basically, if you want to enter the God life, do what God says. And so the man says, okay, okay, okay. But like what specifically? Let's get a little bit more precise on what exactly I should do. And so Jesus, he just starts listing the commands. He says, Don't murder, don't commit adultery, don't steal, don't lie. Honor your father and mother. Love your neighbor as yourself. And the man says, I've obeyed all those, you know? What's left? And Jesus challenges him, and he says, okay, okay, if you really want to be perfect, if you really want to go after God with all you have, go sell your possessions. Give the money to the poor, then you'll have treasure in heaven. Then come follow me. And the man, he goes away sad 
because he had a lot of possessions. He was a rich young ruler. He couldn't bear what Jesus told him. He wanted control over his life and his religion. He wanted to ensure the outcome of his efforts. Now, Timothy Keller, he is a pastor in New York City. He says this about the whole story. He says, Jesus smashed two of the rich young ruler's assumptions. Christianity is something you can add and something you can do. Christianity is something you can add and something that you can do. Jesus is coming to tell us the good news about himself that that is not the way it works. That is not the way the gospel works. It's not just something you can add to your life and something that you can do. Timothy Keller also helps us think about how this principle operates. So he gives us the way that, the principle that religion operates on. And he says this, he says, I obey, therefore I'm accepted by God. This is what the rich ruler was trying to do. I obey, therefore I'm accepted, therefore I can enter in the kingdom. And this feeds that narrative of, you know, um, that if we obey, then we're blessed. And if we don't obey, we're punished. But you know what? Either way, we end up far from God because we're relying on our own behavior, our own efforts. And the gospel says that's not the way it is. Because here's the principle, the operating principle of the gospel. I am accepted by God through the work of Jesus Christ. Therefore, I obey. It is an overflow of your heart because you are accepted by the God of the universe and he loves you. That's the gospel. You can't do anything else but receive it and accept it. That's the goodness of God for you. God is good and he says, you are loved and you belong and you have significance through a relationship with Jesus. It's available to you, all of it. He doesn't withhold. He gives you abundance. God is good, and, he, and his goodness meets us in our needs. See, Jesus, his first response to this rich young ruler that came and, and asked him what to do, he says, God alone is good. If you're approaching me, and after what is good in this life, I'm here. It's me. God alone is good. He's the one your heart is really after. He's the treasure that your heart is missing and longing for. God alone is good. But because the man is asking him, he obliges and he continues to reply to keep the commands and obey God. And this man probably would have done some kind of like giving his money or charity based on what the Jewish laws had already said. But Jesus was calling him to an all-consuming pursuit of God. Not just a little bit, but all-consuming. And what that, what that did was Jesus kind of put this, his finger on this, 
a raw spot in, the, in this man's heart. Because this man was, was getting something from his wealth that only the gospel can really do for us. Okay, so this man's wealth was providing him, you know, some sense of security, some sense of identity, some sense of, of goodness and, and worth and value. And so when Jesus touched that part of his life, oh, he couldn't bear it. He couldn't cut ties with it. Because anything that replaces what the gospel is supposed to be in our life becomes an idol. And so that was an idol in this man's life, and he couldn't bear to let go of it. But the gospel, it says that there is greater treasure that your heart desires, that your heart longs for. And will you trade in whatever it is that you're putting your heart's desire in that you think is going to meet your need for what Jesus can actually give you in the fullness of who he is? Are you willing to trade in the treasure whatever is keeping you captive? Will you trade it in for what Jesus can offer you? Because God is good. And his goodness extends to all people, regardless of your behavior. And those that end up saying yes to Jesus and entering into the kingdom of God, they're going to receive a goodness of God that only those of us that are following Jesus understand. So there's a goodness to God. His love and his joy and his peace. There are things that the world cannot know, no matter how good they try to be, because they are straight from God alone. And so you have to get them from God alone, because he is good and he gives them to you. And Jesus was trying to show this man where his true need was, that it was in God alone and the goodness of God. So where is your true need today? What do you need in your heart from God? What are you looking for in this life that you find uh, fulfillment in something else, trying to get it, or a story that you're trying to tell yourself that meets that need that can only be met through Jesus? Because, see, we, we habitually try to fulfill our needs elsewhere. We just do. And so we have to, you know, tell ourselves this gospel over and over and over again that the goodness of God meets us in our need every single day. That we look to him for our significance and our belonging. So what do you need this morning? Do you feel like something is missing? That if you really listen to your heart, that there's needs that bubble up? You know, are you fearful? Do you need security? Is it belonging or love, meaning, purpose that you're just cared for and seen? So let me, let me tell you about this good news this morning. See, God created this world. We were created by God for him. We were created as good and beautiful beings. 
And God chose to live with us. God chose to be among us and live in this most satisfying relationship that you can ever imagine, a perfect relationship. And not only were we created to be with him, but we were also created to be like him. So we're to be image bearers of his goodness. We are his goodness and his beauty and his love, always reflecting just like this aroma coming off of us, always. And we were created to draw all our significance from God. And not only that, but we were created to live good, productive lives. God, in Eden, <clears throat> gave Adam and Eve this, this mandate to go fill and multiply in the world. Go beyond Eden and extend my kingdom. And it was good and satisfying and purposeful, meaning work. All in this security and safety of their father, where everything was right, and they had no lack. And from this story in the garden, we also know that, that Adam and Eve were tempted to doubt God and to not trust in him. And to seek after their own knowledge of being their, their own gods, rather than trusting in the goodness of God. And so they took this bait from Satan, and they became their own gods, and they discovered the brokenness of that situation. And they lost God's presence. They felt shame, and they immediately hid. They were scared. They were fearful. They no longer had peace. They no longer had security in their identity as beloved children of God. And this begins the broken life that you and I, we all experience, and we all live with it. Now we have to hustle for things. We have to work for things. We, as our own gods with our own authority, have to work to create this belonging and this significance and this identity for ourselves. We're no longer living just in this free gift that God gives us of his presence and all the things that we're made for in our hearts. No, we see scarcity all around us. We feel that we have to fight for these things instead of living in God's free gift and abundance. So thankfully, God enacts this plan of redemption to save us from our brokenness. And so the first more than first half of your Bible, is all about God establishing this relationship with his people Israel. And he lives among them. His presence is among them. And he teaches them how to live a good, loving life, to be in relationship with him. And they mess it up over and over. And it's this cycle where he brings them back and they mess it up. And then there's this just dark silent period from God. No one really is hearing anything. And in that darkness, Jesus comes and is born into this world, and he shows us a new way of knowing God, a new way of being in relationship with God. And as Jesus, he lives out his life here on earth, he shows us the way to live with God as he intends, 
because Jesus has the God life in him. And Jesus somehow is able with this God life in him to live above the sin and brokenness in our world. And in fact, when he encounters the brokenness in our world, he extends healing. He extends restoration. And he gives the God life to other people. The brokenness doesn't take him out. And at the end of Jesus' life, one of his followers betrays him. And then a bunch of people betray him. And they end up nailing him to a cross. Where Jesus actually puts to death the brokenness of this world on that cross. And he nails on the cross all the evil, all the sin, all the suffering and brokenness that keeps us captive. And then, y'all, three days later, he comes back to life with resurrection power. And his death and resurrection give us, you and I, the forgiveness and the power to live in God's presence and find our hearts home in him once again, all like it was meant to. Because Jesus' resurrection gives you and I the way to new life. When we believe in Jesus, We're united with him in his life. So what that means is we die with Jesus in his death. And our brokenness dies as well. The power of the brokenness dies. And then we are united in resurrection with Jesus. So we get to have the same victory over sin and brokenness in our lives. And we're restored to our original calling and our identity we get this perfect relationship back with jesus and the father and the spirit everything gets restored and we get that same god life in our bones we get the holy spirit to live inside of us when we choose jesus when we choose to follow him we're restored to our full humanity identity and purpose That is the goodness of God for us. And then we get to participate in God's goodness for this world and bring it to other people. So where do you need him this morning? Where does your heart need him? Don't look for the solution in your behavior how you can do it better, because that's not God what what he wants. He wants you to come here. He is here right now, and he wants you to come here right now with your heart open to him. That's all he wants, and let him fill it. Let him show how his goodness meets you in your needs. So that's my practical tip for you, one of them for this week. Okay, silence. Every day, five minutes, you can go less if you need to or longer if you want to. Um, Find somewhere quiet and alone and sit in the silence. Don't fill it up, just sit. But allow your heart to be open to God. 
Allow your heart to just sit there and be open. And notice what your heart needs, what, what bubbles up in your heart. And give that to God and say, will you meet me here? Take it a step further and spend some time in nature and creation. This is one of my favorite things to do. But just like go on a walk or go somewhere fun. I like to go to the Real Life Museum. That's my favorite. They have nice walking trails there. Creation, it speaks God's goodness. It's like a megaphone of God's goodness. So if you need to, to see a little bit more clearly God's goodness in your life, get outside and go on some kind of like, you know, a little meditative walk. Notice creation. Meditate on it. Ponder it. Think about it. Look for God's goodness and glory in creation. So, um, you know, if you heard today's message, and you're like, you know, I need to trust in Jesus. There will be an opportunity to come and pray with people. But I'm going to ask Jeremy to come up and lead us in our communion and uh, response time.